All right, well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to see y'all uh, this morning. My name is BJ, and I'm really looking forward to getting to God's word with you uh, this morning. For those of you both here in the West, as well as for my friends over in the East, uh, I really sense that God has an important message that he wants to share with all of us. And uh, let me tell you, this passage has been working on me for the last couple weeks, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's gonna work on all of us and encourage us uh, to follow Christ uh, in, in a greater way. So uh, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter one. And uh, if, you, uh, if you wanna grab your Bible and turn there to Acts chapter one, um, or if you wanna turn on your Bible to Acts chapter one, if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to uh, grab one there uh, close by and you can even take that one home if you need. So as I said, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter one. And uh, you know, this is, this is just an amazing piece of scripture. It's probably one of my favorites in, in all of the Bible. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you uh, this morning. So we've been in this series now for a couple weeks titled, Why Easter Matters. Why Easter Matters. And uh, if, you were to, uh, if you were to push me in a corner and say, all right, you've got 30 seconds. Why does Easter matter? I would say this, that, the, that Jesus's death and resurrection gives us hope. It gives us hope because Jesus paid the penalty that our sins deserve when he died on the cross. But Jesus did not stop there. He went on to conquer death. He was raised to life on the third day. And because he was raised to life, we also will be raised to life one day as well. Okay, were you timing me? Was that 30 seconds? I saw you looking at your watch. Perfect, okay. All right, I didn't make it in the last service, so I had to really put the rush on that time. But uh, so this is why, this is why we have hope. And this is the reality that we live in, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and one day, because he was resurrected, one day, because, because he was raised to life, we also one day will be raised to life as well. And we will live with him for eternity in heaven. And so Jesus died, one day we will be raised to life. But the question is, what are we supposed to do right here in the middle? What is the purpose of our lives right now? What, what are we here for? Are, are we just hanging around, waiting a couple decades so that we can die and go to heaven? What is the purpose of our lives right now in the meantime? Well, this is the question that we are going to be uh, answering this morning as we look at Acts chapter one. So a little bit of background about the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is the second letter that was written by Luke. Luke wrote his first letter and uh, very creatively titled it Luke. And so uh, it's okay to laugh, by the way. I've got a whole list of jokes here, so just lighten up, all right? We're gonna have fun this morning. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, they sounded funny in my office, but ho hopefully they're funny here. Uh, and so, so we, we see in the, in the book of Luke uh, that, that uh, he tells the story of Jesus's life and, and, and how Jesus uh, ministered to those around him. And, and, and he, he talks about uh, Jesus's teaching and the things that were most important in his ministry. And then uh, obviously uh, Luke talks about how Jesus died on the cross and how he was raised to life. Well, then we see uh, now Acts. And Acts, you could say, is the sequel to Luke. Acts continues the story and tells the story of how Jesus's followers then went out and uh, they began to tell others about him and, and about how the church began and how the church grew. And the cool thing is this, is that Jesus is, is going to have a conversation here, here in Acts chapter one uh, that began a pattern that would be carried out throughout the book of Acts. In fact, that same pattern that Jesus sets apart has continued beyond 
the last chapter of Acts to, uh, to us. I mean, really, it's continued throughout history again and again and again to the point where we are here in the room this morning. So really, the story of Acts never, never ended. That makes us like chapter 4,980 because it's, it's the same storyline. It's the same pattern that we see again and again and again. And so we're gonna pick up the conversation here. Um, in verse four, Jesus is having this important conversation uh, before he returns to heaven. And so beginning in, ch- in uh, did I say chapter four? I meant to say verse four, right? Acts chapter one, verse four, it says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is alluding to the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, would soon be coming. In fact, just 10 days later, 10 days after this conversation, uh, the disciples were gathered together, and you can read all about this in Acts chapter two. Uh, But the disciples were gathered together and the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they began to do amazing things. They began to, to speak in the languages of those who were in the city, languages that they didn't know. And because of the Holy Spirit's amazing power, thousands of people came to hear the message of Jesus and respond. 3,000 people uh, changed their lives and were baptized that day. That's amazing. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, hey guys, put on your seatbelts, buckle up, because the Holy Spirit's coming. You better be ready. Well, the conversation continues here in verse six. So then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his authority. And so we see here in verses six and seven, a a contrast. You see, throughout Jesus's teaching, and even you can see uh, earlier in in this chapter that he often spoke about the kingdom of God or, or in other places it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. But this was very different than the kingdom that the disciples were asking about. Their kingdom was confined to boundaries and and time and an earthly ruler. They were basically asking Jesus, hey Jesus, when can we get our country back? When when can we stop having to pay taxes to the Romans? And and when can we start calling our cities by the names that we want to call them? When can we govern ourselves again? Jesus, can you do that for us? But the kingdom of God the kingdom of God that Jesus had been referring to wasn't a kingdom limited by time or boundaries or human constructs. It is God's eternal kingdom. God's eternal kingdom that's, that's made up of, of people from around the world and from throughout history who worship him. It's God's eternal kingdom. Jesus was saying, God's plan is bigger than your plan. In fact, in the decades ahead, God would use Israel's oppressors, the the Roman Empire, uh, to spread the message of Jesus and establish churches throughout the known world. God had a plan. And it's the same for us. God's plan is way bigger than our plans or our expectations. You know, in life, we find ourselves making plans and preparations for, for how we think that life should go but we must always submit our plans to God's bigger plan 
and be willing to follow him in unexpected ways because God has a plan. His plan is in place and nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop God's plan. Here's an example from, from recent history. The year was 1949 and Mao Zedong took over power in China. Now up to this point, uh, generation after generation of missionaries from the West, from, from, from places in Europe and the US had given their lives to take the message of the gospel. That's, that's the message of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have. Uh, they gave their lives in order to, to go and, and spread that message. Many of them uh, died of sickness or, or, or they were martyred, which means they were killed for their faith. And yet, by the time we reached 1949, despite all of that effort, it was calculated that there were well under a million Christians in the entire country. The entire country, that was, that was less than 0.1% of the entire population. And so immediately Mao took aim at the church and began one of the harshest persecutions in history. He began by expelling all the foreign missionaries. So all the foreign missionaries were uprooted and sent back to their countries. And then he went on to kill all of the senior church leaders. In fact, anyone who was associated with leadership in a church in any way was either imprisoned or killed. Then the government seized all church properties. They confiscated Bibles. They made Christian gatherings illegal. It was illegal to gather for a Bible study. If you gathered to, to study God's word or, or to pray with someone else, the police could come in and drag you out. You could be imprisoned or, or tortured or even killed. You know, with their, with their leadership gone, with, with no infrastructure, no organization, and no resources, experts forecasted that within just five or 10 years, Christianity would be extinct in China. But then God went to work. God started carrying out his plan. By the time Mao's tyranny ended in 1976, there were an estimated 80 million Christians in China. They were all underground. 80 million Christians. And the church continues, and that was, that was in 1976. The church continues to grow. It's, it's well past 100 million now. And the church is still under persecution. Even this week, I read an article about how the Chinese church is, is under persecution from government forces. And yet it continues to grow. It continues to grow. God has a plan. And time after time, we see that God's plan defies conventional wisdom. It doesn't make any sense. Think about it this way. So I have here a, uh, a house plan. It's, it's a nice house plan. It took me a while to pick it out. I actually had to ask one of the ladies at Kroger to help me. Um, but uh, she gave me a good deal on it too. So what's that? So, uh, so I, I've got this house plan. And, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good green thumb. You know, one of them are green at least. And so... Uh, that one was a funny one too in my office. But, uh, and so, uh, so I feel like I would be able to do a pretty good job of keeping this plant alive. I mean, what would I need to do? Well, I give it a little bit of water, but not too much water. You don't want to flood it, but you know, give it a little bit of water, uh, you know, maybe put it in a place where it's safe. So try to keep it away from the one-year-old and uh, you know, maybe put it, put it in like a windowsill or someplace where it's going to get some sunlight. Um, I want to sprinkle a little bit of uh, fertilizer on it. 
to help it grow. Uh, you know, maybe uh, after a year or so, I'd wanna put some new soil in that are full of nutrients. And, and you know, Mackie's shaking her head. This is how you take care of a plant, right? I feel like I could help this plant not only survive, but thrive. I could help this plant grow. But what if I was to do the complete opposite? What if I just started cutting leaves off of it? I'm gonna cut down here too. What if, what if instead of taking care of the roots, what if I pulled the roots out? And then instead of giving it a drink of water, I gave it a drink of bleach. I'm gonna do it, Kathy. Yep, here it goes. Watch, all over it, okay? And what if instead of putting it in the sunlight, I covered it up with this garbage bag, okay? Now here's the thing. I realize that right in front of all of you, I just committed planticide. <laughs> you need to know every service has screamed. There was a lady after last night's service that tried to beat me up in the parking lot. <laughs> I almost pulled this illustration, but let, 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 let me promise you, let me promise you, there's a point to this madness. I'm not just taking on my anger on a house plan. This is exactly what has happened time and time again to the church. Church leaders get cut down, resources get ripped out, governments pour out judgments and laws against the church, and yet the church continues to grow. Oftentimes, the church grows the fastest. The church is the healthiest in the places where there's the most persecution. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense, except for the fact that it is God's plan to grow his church. And we can't stop it. There's nothing we can do to stop God's plan. There's nothing we can do. God is working out his plan. And no matter what leaders in power or, or what, what attacks may come against us, no matter what challenges or struggles or sacrifices we face, though darkness may befall us, we have hope because Christ has already won victory. Christ has already beat death. Christ has already beat sin. And one day we will stand with him in final victory. This is God's plan. Yes. Now I need to stop and smile. <laughs> My wife told me that I get kind of intense sometimes when I preach, so I have to stop and smile so that you don't think I'm mad at you, okay? All right? I'm not mad at you. This is, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. God has a plan in place. Now let's see the power that God has for that plan. We continue in verse eight where it says this but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. I love the word here uh, in the original Greek language. The word is dunamos. It's where we get our word for dynamite. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will receive dynamite. I like that. I like having a stick of dynamite in my hand because here's the thing. It's not like it's, it's some passive kind of wimpy power. No, this, it's dynamite. The Holy Spirit gives us real power, real, active, relevant power. Now we need to remember this. We need to remember that, that God is the source of that power and that the Holy Spirit is fully in control the whole time. It's not like, it's not like we're Aladdin and the Holy Spirit's the genie and we just rub the bottle and we can get whatever we want. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is that he gives the power to us 
so that, it, so that we can be a conduit, so that that power passes right through us in order to glorify Christ. The purpose of the power is God's purpose. It's God's power, it's God's purpose. Our role is to be conduits of that power in order to glorify Christ. God's plan is in place. He has given us power. Now we find our purpose. Continuing in verse eight, it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our job is to share the good news of our new reality. The reality that Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus beat death. We will live with him one day for eternity. This is good news. And our role is to be witnesses of that good news. And we do this because there are still billions, not millions, but billions of people in our world who are living and dying apart from Christ. They don't know of God's love for them. So this is our role, to share that good news with them so that, so that they might know of God's love, so that they might know of, of the grace that God has given to them, the, the way that, that Jesus paid for their sins. Our life has purpose. We're not just waiting around to die. Our life has purpose. And we find our purpose specifically in this phrase, you will be my witnesses. You know, we see this language uh, throughout the New Testament to describe how Christians, followers of Christ, were witnesses of what Christ had done, how, how they told others about Jesus. This is what distinguishes a Christian as a witness. Their direct and immediate testimony about Jesus Christ. Friends, witnessing must go beyond just being polite or, or, or being a good neighbor. We must do more than, than just uh, be generous or, 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 or to advocate for social justice. These are all good things, good things that a Christian should do. And they may very well set the table for witnessing, but they aren't enough. Lifestyle evangelism only works if it actually gets to evangelism. Otherwise, it's just lifestyle. It's just, this is the way I live. Witnessing is when we talk clearly and directly about Jesus Christ. You could put it this way. We are witnessing when the name of Jesus is on our lips. When we're telling someone about Jesus. Now let's be honest. This is difficult, isn't it? This is, this is scary. And you need to know that it's, it, it was just as scary for the disciples as it is for us. Jesus gave them this commission. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then the disciples said, hey, time out, stop. Jesus, don't you remember six weeks ago when they killed you in Jerusalem? Jesus, they nailed you to a cross. What do you think they're gonna do to us? And, and Judea, Jesus, we have no credibility in Judea. Nobody's gonna listen to us. And Samaria, Jesus, those people are different. They're, they're a different race. They look different than us. They eat different food. And so we see from the very beginning of the church that racial reconciliation and overcoming boundaries has been a part of the spread of the gospel. And then to the ends of the earth, that's just, that's out of the question, Jesus. To the ends of the earth, Jesus, we've never been to the ends of the earth. We don't even know where the ends of the earth are. Is the earth flat? 
how are we supposed to do this, Jesus? How are we supposed to do this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We have been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the sake of witnessing. Are you a Christian? Then you already possess everything you need, every resource necessary to fulfill the mission assigned to you by Jesus. You know, maybe you've never experienced the Holy Spirit in this way. Maybe you would say, I don't know if I've ever had that kind of power. Maybe it's because you've been waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up first so you can go and witness. But it is when we step out and witness to the resurrected Christ, it is in that moment that the Holy Spirit empowers us in the greatest and most evident ways. He doesn't empower us so we can witness. We begin to witness, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit shows up and gives us power. You know, I remember the first time that, uh, that I experienced uh, this in, in my own life. So it was about 20 years or so ago, and, uh, and I was a freshman in high school, and I was taking a, a world history class. I was taking this world history class, and so during the first week of class, I remember sitting there, and the teacher said, students, um, at the end of the semester, all of you are going to be required to give a speech. You will be giving a speech on what you believe to be the most important event in history. And immediately, my stomach got sick. Oh, no. Because, you know, I was still a fairly young Christian. But I already knew I'm not going to have to read my history book or, or sit through a semester of class to know what I believe is the most important event in history. I already knew the answer. But the question is, was I gonna say anything about it? I mean, and so I started going back and forth all semester long. Oh man, what am I gonna say? What, what, what am I gonna say? Uh, am I gonna point to Jesus Christ? Am I gonna take this opportunity to talk about Jesus? Or, or is there any way I could just wimp out and talk about like the invention of the toaster or something? That would be easy, you know, just Google. Actually, I think it was before Google, but... Um, <laughs> I felt like I was in a wrestling match with God and I was losing desperately. I mean, I, I was already that, that kind of nerdy, quiet kid. What would people think of me? What would the students in my class think? What would the students in, in my school think? I already got made fun of enough. I mean, people knew that I went to church, but for the most part, I was just the quiet kid who sat in the back of the room. So the day came and I stood up in front of my class. I took a deep breath and I said, the most important event in human history was the coming of Jesus Christ. And I went on to try and explain as best as I could, probably not very, probably not very well. I'm glad nobody recorded this, but I went on to explain Jesus' miraculous birth and, and, and how, uh, how he ministered to people and, and he, healed the, he, he healed people. And, and I talked about how, how Jesus died on the cross and he died not for anything that he'd done wrong because he hadn't done anything wrong, but, but he did that 
uh, to die for other people's wrongs. And, and I talked about how Jesus rose on the third day, how he, he came back to life and how he sent his followers out to tell other people about him and about how the church has, has spread and grown around the world and how the church has, has made major, um, major contributions to history, like, like the starting of hospitals and, and orphanages and how Christians have stood for, for human rights and, and, and for, for what was good for society. And I got done and man, I was ready to go sit down. So I started from my desk and the teacher said, stop. Does anybody have any questions or comments? And suddenly hands shot up from around the room. One student didn't even wait to be called on. He just stood up and started yelling at me. He just started yelling objections to, to you know, 20 centuries of Christian faith and, and people are asking questions and even a teacher was asking questions and, and I found myself responding to these questions. I found myself giving answers for the hope that I have. I found myself uh, quoting scriptures that I didn't even know that I, that I had memorized. And, and that day, that day will be forever burnt in my memory because for a few minutes in a history class at Logan Magnolia Community High School, I became a different kind of person. I was transformed. That morning in front of those students, I was bold. I was passionate. I was articulate. I would have taken a bullet for the gospel. But then the bell rang, class ended, the students walked out and I shuffled to the back of the room picked up my books and I was transformed back into nerdy BJ. But something changed that morning. Something happened that morning. Something came alive. And that was the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, later when I was in college, I got an invitation from a friend of mine uh, to go and spend some time at a government housing project. He said, hey man, you gotta come over and hang out in this project. And, and you know, there's, there's so many families here and, and they're far from Christ. And, and you know, there's so much going on and so much brokenness. And, and man, what if we did like a Bible study or, or what if we, we did like some Bible lessons here? You should come over. And so he invited me to come over um, on a certain day. And truth be told, I didn't go. I hid in my dorm room that day. But I'll tell you, that night, I entered back into a wrestling match with God. I already had a losing record. I had no chance. And so the next morning, the next morning I woke up really, really early. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want anybody to see me. I, I got up early and, uh, and I rode my bike over to the project. And I still remember riding my bike down, uh, down that street with buildings on both sides. And my heart was pounding at the thought of doing ministry here. I mean, I don't know anything at all about urban ministry. I don't know anything about urban culture. I'm, I'm a straight-laced kid who grew up in rural Iowa. I mean, my hometown, my hometown didn't get a stoplight until just a few years ago, and they still don't know how to use it. I mean, people are turning left on red. There's probably been more crashes because of that thing than, than it prevented. 
I mean, I grew up in this little teeny tiny town where, you know, every week at church was a family reunion. I couldn't date anybody in the town because I was related to everybody. <laughs> and here I am, here I am in an urban setting. As I rode my bike down that street, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, I want you here. These are the families that I want you to witness to. If you do this, I will be with you. And so the next semester, by nothing short of a miracle from God, we got this crazy, unorganized ministry off the ground. Uh, my, my roommate and I uh, said, okay, we're gonna do this. And we found some other guys and some other ladies on campus and we started this ministry and it was crazy. This was insanity. And we're, we're picking these kids up from, from these rough uh, places and, and they're coming and they're trying to like smoke out in the parking lot. These are junior high kids. They're trying to smoke out in the parking lot. People are getting in fights. I mean, Jan was there. He, he, was the, he was the custodian. He had to clean up after us, right? You know, sometimes the fire alarm got pulled. Sometimes the police were there when you got there. So, I mean, it was crazy, crazy ministry. But I found myself making sacrifices in order to do this ministry. I found myself uh, spending my own money so that I could fund this ministry and, and I was turning down part-time jobs so I'd have more time for it. I remember walking into the, uh, my soccer coach's office. I was the captain of the soccer team. And I walked in, I said, coach, I see here that we have a number of away games on Thursday evenings. Coach, I can't go. I can't travel with the team. I need to stay here because this is important to me. And friends, this was, this was rough ministry. These, these were rough kids. I still have scars on my hand from being cut by kids who brought knives to youth group. We used to have to have somebody stationed at the door to take the weapons away. This was tough, tough ministry. But we were the only place they were getting Jesus. And lives were being changed. My life was being changed. I wouldn't be here this morning if, we're not, if, if not for those early years of ministry. And you need to know, I am not the hero of these stories. The Holy Spirit is the hero. The Holy Spirit is the one who was giving me courage and boldness. He was the one that was providing what we needed to be a witness. The Holy Spirit was the one who was showing up. Oftentimes, despite me, and oftentimes despite our efforts. But I firmly believe that if I had not written that speech or rode through that housing project, if I had not stepped into that ministry, I would not have experienced the Holy Spirit's power through me. We won't feel it. We won't experience it unless we first do it we have to first step into the calling of the Holy Spirit. Well, our passage concludes in verses nine through 11. It says this. After he said this, this is Jesus. He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way that you have seen him go in to heaven. I love how this passage concludes because it concludes, it ends with a beginning. A beginning for the disciples and a beginning for us. God has a plan. He has given us power through his Holy Spirit and he has given purpose to our lives. We are the story of Acts. We are Acts chapter 4,980 because the Holy Spirit is still moving. Lives are still being changed. We have the same calling that they had to stand up, to stand out and be witnesses. The purpose of our lives is to join God in his work. That is why we're here. That is the answer to our question. We're not just waiting around for heaven. We have a purpose right now. We have a purpose right now. You know, I love the way that, uh, that Pastor Tim Keller puts it. He says that our present behavior is determined by what we believe our ultimate future will be. If we believe our ultimate future is heaven and that God is working out his plan, then our present behavior is to join him by being his witness. You know, for you, uh, maybe this morning you feel like this plant. Maybe, maybe you feel like your situation, you're, you're just getting cut down left and right. Maybe you feel like your back is against the wall and there is no chance of sunlight. Maybe, maybe you, you would say, I could never, ever tell someone about Jesus. Or, or maybe you would say, my situation is so toxic, there's no way that it could change. Let me encourage you, step out in faith. Join God's plan, be a witness. The Holy Spirit will show up in the midst of your witnessing and give you power. Remember, we take a step of faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes things. He's the one who changes lives and changes cultures. We can trust in his power for his glory. God's plans are bigger and often different than our plans. We can trust in his power and his presence. We can join him. This gives purpose to our lives. Let's pray. God, you've shown your grace to us in so many ways. Lord, you gave us Jesus Christ. He gave up his, his own life to save us. And yet, Lord, the grace continues because God, truth be told, we don't deserve to be your witnesses. God, we don't deserve to have your name on our lips. Lord, we are not great representatives of you. And yet, Lord, you have called us to be. Lord, you allow us by your grace to be a part of your mission. You allow us by your grace to, to serve you. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. As we step into places of ministry, fill us with your spirit. Lord, give us power to do things that we would never be able to do on our own. Lord, give us courage to, to say things that we would never say on our own. Lord, may your spirit compel us to, to, to serve you in, in powerful and sacrificial ways. Lord, you've given us these lives in order to, to bring glory to you, Lord. God, ring us out, use us up for your glory 
so that your name would be glorified, so that others might come to know you in a real and powerful way. Lord, this is what you've created us for. This is the purpose that you have placed in us. Lord, may we live it out by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.